Hi, everybody. This is Trevor McGee from Lawrence.com, sitting here with Eric Moline from Scene Stealers. How's it going? Not bad, Eric. How are you doing? I'm doing good. <laughs> good. Well, it's Friday, and uh, we got a couple of new movies in theaters. Uh, Conviction. Yes. Starring Sam Rockwell and Hilary Swank. True story. Yeah, taking the swing for the Oscars again. She wants it, it is. So you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of one of those movies where it just has Oscar like written all yeah. over it. It's, yeah. it's a, is it shameful? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I got a piece of the press material in. Did you get it? That to-do list? You know, I did. <laughs> I got a, a to-do list in the mail. And, and the reason that they, they send us the to-do list mm-hmm. is because uh, Betty Ann Waters, who is the uh, woman that Hillary Swank plays, yeah. tried for 18 years uh, to – well, she, she succeeded. She became a lawyer just to get uh, her wrongly convicted, in her eyes, uh, brother yeah. out of prison. And um, so the to-do list – uh, promotional item was very uh, cleverly yeah. tied oh, it was in. So clever, yeah. It's like pick up milk, go to the store, yeah. go to law school, yeah. exonerate, yeah. exonerate, wrongly your, convicted yeah, brother. brother. Yeah, so yeah. that well, actually kind of cheapened the movie more than anything mm-hmm. else. I thought. You, you I know what else that. is really a funny detail about that movie What's is that? that in the movie she she willingly like I'm going to go to law school and I'm going to save him. Yes. Um, in real life, he asked her to. He did. Yeah. Interesting. You know, they kind of imply that actually in the movie. Really? You know, here's the deal. So I'm, I'm not going to review the film. If you if you want to see that, you can go on the website and stuff. But I will say this. Uh, uh, it, it, it has enough ambiguity in mm-hmm. it and enough things not spelled out for you where movies of this ilk usually spell out a lot of stuff yeah. like that for you. I think that it's worth seeing. If, if And you'll know just from you know the, the, what we're talking about whether yeah. this is a movie that you're interested in seeing. And if it is, uh, I'm going to recommend it because I think that overall uh, Swank and Rockwell are really good actors. Yeah. And I think character-wise, there's this really good relationship between this brother and sister. Uh, what, what, where the story starts to stumble, ironically, is in the third act when you know she's, she's uh, closer to making it. And then it becomes a series of legal hurdles uh, that her and her friend Minnie Driver, uh, who's only in for comic relief... Uh, and it's totally in the made-for-TV uh, mode, yeah. uh, but have to jump through and, and in order to get the brother released. But but that's interesting that you said that because uh, it seemed like he was kind of you know pushing her into doing this, <laughs> kind of winking, even though winking at her. Well, the even though time. they didn't, yeah, they if didn't only someone would it. go to law school and then get me out of this place. Yeah. But then it's interesting because you know at one point um, it comes down to this DNA test yeah. and. Uh, I really liked uh, the ambiguity of him not wanting to take that test. Hmm. Why does he not want to take this test? Is it because he's actually guilty? Right. Or is it because he's so used to getting screwed that he thinks he's going to get screwed again? Yeah. And that no matter what happens, he's going to get stuck there? So there's there's really good moments in the movie, and, and I think it rises just above uh, what those kind of movies um, need to be to succeed. So yeah. will it will it be an Oscar contender? Absolutely not. Okay. Well, that's a that's a ringing endorsement. It, it just, really is. just barely rises above <laughs> the status quo. Eric yeah. Moline. Thank you. Yeah, um, and then the other movie, the other big one we've got to talk about. I guess it's big. Whatever. Um, Catfish. Yes. And and Catfish is the the newest in that sort of found footage kind of collection of movies. Is that, that depends on who you believe. Oh, yeah. uh, I've seen the movie, and uh, uh, if you've seen uh, 2020 recently, mm-hmm. like two weeks ago, uh, they spent 60 minutes talking about the film yeah. and ruined the entire thing. <laughs> they, they basically uh, did a plot summary mm-hmm. of the film using footage from the film yeah. and then interviewing the people that made the film as if we needed to have them interviewed again because they already interviewed themselves the first. They already caught this all on tape. Right. You know, there's no actual interviews in it, but they already caught themselves on tape. Okay, so basically, I'm going to backtrack all that. 
I don't think this is a found footage movie. Okay. This is a documentary. And I believe that most of what we see in the documentary is absolutely 100% true. I think that what happens is uh, there's this guy in New York who falls in love, has this online romance with a girl uh, on Facebook, and finds out uh, through a series of events that maybe she's not who she says she is. And I think that at a certain point, the filmmakers realized what they had on their hands. And they went, you know what? This is happening right in front of our eyes. He's on the computer realizing that she's sending these songs. And these songs are not written or performed by her. Because they're looking them up on the internet and finding that she just took YouTube videos and turned them into MP3s and sent them to him and said, hey, here's a, a new song that I wrote, right? She's good with computers then. Yeah, so she's, she's, she's an artist in that way. Point. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I think that at that moment... They realized they had a movie. So did they go back and shoot some things yeah. to build up the backstory a little bit more? Yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say confidently yes. Okay. I'm going to also say, though, that, uh, that if you're at all interested in seeing uh, a documentary that unfolds like a feature film that, right. that, that's engaging and suspenseful, uh, especially one that, that's done on a minuscule budget, mm. uh, this is a great movie to see. I think that it really uh, has a lot of forward movement uh, and and works better than you know seventy percent of the fiction films that I've seen this year. So purely from a standpoint, especially if you love movies or if you're an amateur filmmaker and you're always carrying cameras around, it is worth it to to yeah. see this film and see how these guys actually turned this into a compelling uh, you know picture. Well, cool. You yeah. know, I, I really I hope that they have a. Deleted scenes and alternate endings on the DVD, <laughs> and it'd be great if, like, when they showed up at her house to see her, yeah. it's uh, Chris Matthews and it's to catch a predator. <laughs> nice. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, there is a, a certain element like that. Except mm-hmm. the interesting thing is that, um, well, I don't want to ruin anything, but she's kind of the predator. So what are you going to do? Um, I will say this. uh, The the 2020 thing Mm -hmm. went way farther and interviewed some people that were involved that you don't get their perspective in the movie. So Mm -hmm. that was kind of cool. But here's the thing. Watching 2020 made me appreciate the movie more because that style of journalism, like you just mentioned, that to catch a predator crap in 2020, honestly, and all those, you know, uh, Saturday afternoon when you're in your PJs and you're watching TV and they've got the the murder story and and everything leads up to the commercial and then it's like you have to stay tuned for what's next. That sensationalistic kind of crap TV journalism, Mm -hmm. when you see the movie presented in that style, you go, wow, this is terrible. But when you watch the movie unfold in its own style, you're like, this is a great story. So if anything, seeing, seeing uh, the 2020 piece on it made me realize how much I hate that style of TV journalism. So the, the sad state of television journalism actually made the uh, movie better. Well, I'd seen the movie already and liked it, but yeah, it made me appreciate it more for sure. Definitely. So yeah, I would I would say go see Catfish. It's, cool. it's a small movie and it's probably not going to be here for very long. Yeah, so. those are both out at the Southwind, right? Um, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Yes, they are. Okay. And then you I said think, definitively. Yeah, definitively. <laughs> they they are at Southwind, and then also uh, um, Mal's Last Dancer is opening at Liberty Hall, and I have no idea about that movie except that Bruce Greenwood's in it, and he's awesome in everything that he's in, and that's it. There it is. So, if you want to know more about that movie, look it up on the internet. Look it up because I'm not your mom. <laughs> um. News. We have we have some we have some big movie news. Yeah, a couple big ones. Yeah, we Christopher uh, Nolan. Chris Nolan came out, like, crawled out of his his pile of money <laughs> that Inception made him, and announced the name of the the new third, time. yeah, third and f- final 
Batman movie. Probably for him. Yeah. Probably for him, the final yeah. Batman movie. And ironically enough, uh, it's Revenge of the Jedi. Yeah. Dark Knight <laughs> Rises. The Dark Knight Rises. rises. Yeah. Uh, you know, at first I have to say uh, I was a little underwhelmed by that title. Yeah. Um, what I liked about The Dark Knight as a title before is that it didn't just describe uh, Bruce Wayne, but also the uh, Harvey Dent character yeah. in that movie. And so... You know, and there were really two stories being told there, so that was really there, cool. There were at least two stories being told. Yeah, yeah. probably seven. Um, but, yeah, so the, the Dark Knight Rises, uh, apparently, and I don't know that much about the comic book, the Frank Miller comic book, but apparently that's a chapter. That's the title of a chapter in one of the Frank Miller Yeah, uh, the things. Dark Knight Returns. I, I can't remember if it's the first or second chapter. But. Or, I'm sorry, it's, it's the Dark Knight Falls. So this is like oh. the reverse of that or whatever. Okay. I don't know. I just read it online. Who cares? Yeah. Honestly... See the movie, read the comic book. They're separate things. Okay. So I have, I don't know. I have no expectations other than I trust Chris Nolan. Yeah. Uh, because I've seen Memento, mm-hmm. The Prestige, The Dark Knight, and Inception, and I know what he's capable of. And, yeah. And I know now also that the Riddler will not be in the film. Nope. Which is fine. I, I don't care who he chooses. I don't care if he chooses well, see, Doc the, Ock. The thing it's about... Still, <laughs> even if it's in the wrong universe. You can't mix the universes. I know. You I can't know. mix the universes. I would trust him. If he said he was going to do it, I would go 100%, yeah. Nolan. I'm with you, buddy. I don't know. Um, I trust him, too. It's it's always been one of those series, though. Like, I don't know, I don't know if it needs a new villain. You know, just depending on how they choose to do it. It's it's one of those where I don't I don't even know if it... You know, it's not a Bond movie. You don't need an elaborate <laughs> new villain every time. And, you know, we but. know for a fact that the Joker will not be in it, yeah. which which makes sense because we don't want another actor to play the Joker. But uh, it's a shame that uh, for a million reasons, it's a shame uh, that Heath Ledger died yeah. uh, in terms of progressing this story. Yeah. It's a shame because I know that they had some other plans for him and they had to chuck him. So. Yeah. And then the other big piece of news is uh, that The Hobbit is a go. The Hobbit's a go again. Again, for real. And uh, Peter Jackson is going to direct it instead of Sam Raimi or anybody else that was attached to it at one point. Del Toro. Yeah. Guillermo Del Toro was going to do it for a really long time. And I thought this would be interesting because we already saw Jackson's uh, art art direction, his vision of Hobbiton and all all the Lord of the Rings, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole universe. And it would have been cool to see Del Toro's kind of visual take on that. But, alas... He uh, doesn't like movies that take five years to make, so he left. Yeah. You know, the thing that baffles me about the whole process is just, like, I, I know that the studio was in trouble. I know they were about to go bankrupt, and and that really caused some trouble. But just the the amount of fighting they did with Peter Jackson on this just really amazes me. You know, I mean, he made... They've been through lawsuit after he, lawsuit. He made so already. much money for them, yeah. and they're just like, are we sure we want this guy to do this? It's like, I think you do. <laughs> Because he just made you a lot of money, yeah. And then, and that's just from the movies. I mean, you add up. They've they've already released the trilogy, what four different ways? I mean, the short version, ways, the yeah. extended version, then the version that had both both long and short versions on it, and then now there's a Blu-ray edition of the short version. Yeah. So you know. They've, they're milking that. They're really going George Lucas on the franchise. So, uh, God, does that mean we're going to get it in 3D? Oh, you're going to get cartoons. <laughs> you got little little cartoon jokey ones on the cartoon. Network. Didn't Lucas say that they're coming? The, mm-hmm. the story, yeah, they're yeah, all the coming trilogy's back coming 3D. back in 3D. What a treat! Yeah, thanks. Well, not even the trilogy. All six of them. He's going to he's going to do all six in 3D, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah. So that I can watch Hayden Christensen not act. 
<laughs> in 3D. Which is weird because he's really good in this movie, Shattered Glass. Have you seen that? Mm. Great. He's yeah. really good. So I know he can act. It's not his fault. Yeah. Well, Whose fault is it? I think it's George Lucas's fault. Oh, yeah. really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to agree. Yeah, there's this great uh, uh, documentary about the, about variety called Bafo. Um, and uh, Richard Dreyfus describes George Lucas's directing style. And uh, he, he literally says, is that good? Is that what you want? Is that how you're going to do it? Okay, let's move on. <laughs> I thought it was go or it's faster it, and better. Faster and better. Faster yeah. and better. Yeah. That's what Harrison Harrison Ford said. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so those are the two. I mean, there's more movie news. There's obviously, more. There's more news about the Hobbit, though. Oh yeah, it's going to stay in Freeman. New Zealand. And Martin Freeman. Martin yeah. Freeman Tim. from uh, UK's The Office. Yeah. Tim. Um, you may know him as John Krasinski. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and he was in uh, um, the the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, yeah. which was. Uh, a flawed adaptation, uh, but it had its heart in the right place. That's and he was a generous. fantastic yeah. Arthur Dent. He was a really, he mm-hmm. was the best part of the movie. Yeah. So um, I'm excited to see what he's going to do uh, as the Hobbit. And, and I wonder if they're going to use Ian Holm like in some flash forwards or something. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Do we know if it's going to be a single movie or are they going to try? Two. They're going to break it into two parts. That's yeah. Right that makes sense. Yeah. Add that to the box set later on. So yeah, that's, that's all the movie news. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's more, but that's the only... We'll do it next that's, week. That's the real important Yeah, stuff. we got to talk about Halloween. Just, yeah, Halloween. So let's do it. Let's it's, do it's, it. It's, it's two days from now. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited for Halloween itself, not because of the holiday, but because of the Walking Dead premiere on AMC. Yeah, that Frank is, Darabont. Yeah, Frank Darabont. And, Sunday um, night. Yeah. Filling that gap that Madman left in my heart. Yeah, and you know I understand that they had to like wait two weeks mm-hmm. uh, because they wanted to premiere this on Halloween. But yeah. what a dumb idea, like from a marketing standpoint. Because I know that when Breaking Bad got done, I was happy to see Rubicon. Yeah, and I went, oh, I'll watch this, and then I actually stayed and I watched the rest of that series, and I, it was pretty good. I think you're the only person in America that actually did that. Really? Yeah, I think you're their only dedicated viewer. I thought it was good. It I wasn't d- great, but it was an interesting I thing. Say, I didn't say it wasn't good. I just yeah. no one watched it. Oh, okay. Do you know? Well, if it, I don't think it, I don't think it's been picked up yet. I don't think it's oh. I don't think it's canceled, but I don't think it's been picked up. Well, anyway, that doesn't matter. What matters? Walking Dead is this Sunday at nine o'clock. Yes. I really can't wait for it. Comic book adaptation. Yeah. Um. Yeah, just really looking forward to that. But you have been busy talking about Halloween movies, and I would like you to tell us <laughs> what some of the best. Gore-free movies are well. Yeah, I did. I did an article for the Journal World for the for the Go magazine about uh, uh, non-rated R movies for teens. Yeah, um, it kind of got turned into with the headline like it was a gore thing. But what I was really trying to do is just to put parents at ease because uh, you know, for some parents, <laughs> I understand this. The rated R thing is a really big limitation. So uh, I compiled a list of ten PG thirteen uh, or less uh, movies that I thought were great. And, um, you know, uh, I think, I think that some of them, the, mo- the more modern ones yeah. are going to be more accessible for, for teens, uh, you know, movies like Tremors, uh, and Cloverfield, yeah. um, you know, Poltergeist is actually still, I think that movie holds up pretty well. Um, that movie scared the hell out of me when I was a little kid. Yeah, really, you know, they're not just, they're not for teens. It's more just for the squeamish. Yeah. Like my, my girlfriend would really like that list. Yeah. Because she can't do... Can't do blood or violence. Oh, at cool! All. Yeah, it, it basically cuts my movie collection down to like two, nice. like both Weekend at Bernie's, and that's it. That's all. That's all we can watch. And although there's no gore, there's at least there's you know a dead, a dead person getting yeah. dragged around. So, yeah. 
no, you know, uh, Drag Me to Hell uh, is is the Sam Raimi movie that mm-hmm. came out last year. And uh, I remember he got a lot of crap. This is the guy who did the Evil Dead series and yeah. Spider-Man. He got a lot of crap for making this movie uh, PG-13. All, all the, the horror fans, all the Evil Dead fans were like, hey, what are you doing? Why don't you make this rated R? If you think about it, though, when you're watching the film, he did as much as you can do with PG-13. In other words, instead of having blood all over the place, mm-hmm. it's bodily fluids. And, like, you know, there's, like, uh, uh, every bodily fluid you can imagine that would come from a human being except for blood uh, comes out of the creatures in this film and into the mouth and the ears mm-hmm. and, and, and everything of Alison Lohman, who plays this girl who's cursed by a goat demon. And and drag me to hell. That old is, story. Oh man, that, yeah, it's that, so overused. That tired plot. It's really really fun, and and it is scary at, at points, but it's also it's in such good fun that you just can't help. It's like an old spook house, yeah. You know, kind of a kind of a thing, and and um, they don't make movies like that anymore. I, I put it really high on my list. I yeah. put it at number two, mainly just because I wanted people to check it out. I felt that there was a certain amount of fanboy backlash mm-hmm. against it for not being rated R. There's no point in it being rated R. It's a fun, scary movie, and it's actually a little smarter uh, than you think it would be. Um, so, yeah, pr- pretty big recommendation f- for me uh, on that one. Does the Oldsmobile make a cameo? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Oldsmobile is a big part of this movie. Okay. There's, a, there's a big Is that fight. what actually drives her to hell at the end? She gets stuck in the Oldsmobile and it just drives her to hell? No. Uh. And I'm not going to reveal the ending. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so and, and then there's this other movie that's a modern movie called The Others, uh, that came out in 2001. Oh, right, with Nicole Kidman. Yeah. You're mad. I am your daughter. <laughs> the, you know, like most movies, the preview was really awful. But yeah. um, that is, that's that's a complete opposite of Drag Me to Hell, 100%. It's one of those slow, creepy, mm-hmm. moody movies that just kind of washes over you. And by the time it's over, you may have guessed the big twist ending or maybe not. It doesn't matter because it's so skillfully done. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually kind of uh, a tribute to another movie on my list called The Innocents. From 1960, which is uh, Deborah Kerr, uh, and and you know she's um, basically governess to these two creepy children, oh. and and uh, you know the, the ending of that movie is really crazy, especially for 1960. But uh, any of the movies um, on that list, I think, uh, would be great. Um, and honestly, I'm one of the biggest proponents yeah. of seeing films uh, that are not in horror franchises. Because I worked at a video store, and one of the worst things in the world is every Halloween, people constantly come up to you and they're like, you know, hey, you got Halloween 6? And you're like, oh, have you seen Frailty? Or have you seen Brian De Palma's Sisters? Or George Romero's Martin? Or anything by Dario Argento? (laughs) No, I just want Chucky. (laughs) Dude, what what is up? And so I actually had a guy come up to me once. He's like, can I have the first Chucky movie? And I'm like, uh, yeah, it's right here. It's called Child's Play. And he mm-hmm. picks it up and looks at it and goes, no, Chucky. I want Chucky. And I was like, dude, that's Chucky. That's yeah. Child's Play. That's, that's Chucky 1. And he's like, I want the first Chucky movie. So right. he was such a big fan of Chucky that he didn't recognize his, his, uh, the, 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 the Chucky on the cover. Of you know, you, you saying this reminds me I left a movie off of the new releases this Friday at Southwind, and that is... Saw 3D. Saw 3D. And, yeah. and I don't want to confuse people. It's the seventh Saw movie. Is it the seventh? I lost yeah. track. It's the seventh Saw movie. Fair enough. And, you know. The last? I, I hope. That's what they say. Well, yeah. Okay. That's what they're... That's what yeah. they're uh, Whatever they do. Whatever they, <laughs> they do. 
yeah. You know, I honestly, I, I, I kind of stopped watching them, but I did actually review the first Saw movie, and I liked it. I liked the first one. Yeah. I gave it a great review because, not a great review, but a good review because I thought that uh, it knew how mm-hmm. ridiculous it was and, and how far it was going, and it yeah. reveled in that, kind of the scumminess of it. It just, and, yeah. I, you know, the way that it, I mean, it was really twist-heavy, but what I really liked was that, you know, the premise at the beginning, you know, Oh, and also that there's a saw that's only sharp enough to cut through bone, but not uh, the the metal. That was that was kind of <laughs> funny, but um, I, I liked that you're presented with the end game at the very beginning of the movie. So you guys are handcuffed together. Um, you're gonna have to cut one of your appendages off to get free. Here's yeah. a saw to do it. And it sounds ridiculous, and then they wind the whole movie up, and somehow at the very end they still get there, and yeah. it's. Carrie Elliews and you know he's he's so over the top. So over the top. Yeah, Yeah, at the very at the uh, very end. Yeah. 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 But after that, I mean, forget about it. After well, that, it was just you know they idiotic. did they did that thing where you know this was this was the first Saw movie was made. It by, had these real indie roots. And yeah, like, it was yeah. made by a couple of independent filmmakers, and then uh, immediately the studio seized on its success and said, "Well, we've got to turn this into a franchise. How are we going to do that? Oh well, we'll make uh, this killer." Uh, a guy who has all these crazy traps. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it turned into something else because Darren Lee Bowsman from Shawnee Mission mm-hmm. uh, had a script floating around that he was trying to get sold. And somebody remembered that script and they said, hey, we could turn this Let's into put the traps a in Saw there. franchise. Yeah. And that's kind of how it was born. And, and even he's graduated from it since then. He did, you know, what did he do? Two or three of them and then said, yeah. see you later and did that crazy repo, the genetic opera, which <laughs> is almost unwatchable, but God bless him for doing it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I, I'm just out of touch with Saw, and uh, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know. People I mean, still like it. I so. can only hope that maybe it'll be like on par with Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, because you realize in 3D they're just going to have to write all the gimmicks about right. things flying towards the screen, and even yeah. the commercial has like a weird railroad spike car like flying towards the television, and yeah. Or towards the movie screen, and you know that, that's going to be kind of funny to see how they wedge in, like, oh, there's a there's a saw blade gun, yep. you know, <laughs> like just just stuff like that. But but it's interesting because I know a lot of horror fans that one of the one of their favorite things about slasher films and horror movies in general is the fact that the uh, writers and directors mm-hmm. come up with these interesting ways to kill yeah. people, and and the Saw franchise seems like. A series where people would really get get off on you know all these creative ways to kill people, but the people who really like the those kind of horror films for some reason they don't like Saw for the most part is what I've noticed. So I don't know, you know, uh, whatever whatever you know exactly what you're going to get, you know, with the with that kind of a movie. So um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, while you were writing about good movies, I was writing about bad horror movies. I spent the the month. Uh, Looking at bad horror remakes, yeah. Because what's worse than a remake? A bad one and a horror remake. You know, um, I started the month off with The Wicker Man, Nicolas Cage version. <laughs> I have got to see that. The, you know, it, it was so I've seen bad. The original, yeah, yeah. The original's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, it was so bad that when I tried to rent it from Liberty Hall, um, I was told not to and to just watch the best of YouTube clip. Really? Like they, they, Just to save you? Yeah, they literally that. like don't spend money on this. Yeah, you know, which I appreciate in some way, but at the same time, <laughs> as a responsible yeah, film, it was, it was very, it was very nice. Um, but yeah, I, I, I put myself through it, and it is every bit as ridiculous as people make it out to be. And it's actually directed by Neil Abute. I know, know former, that's crazy. You know, KU alum, and yeah, that, but he, um, you know, 
he's he can he's capable of good stuff. In the Company of Men is one of my favorite movies. Nurse Betty is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, yeah. And and but this is just it's you know it gets a lot of notice for being so over the top, but what it doesn't really get any notice for is just how um, boring it is until the movie finally goes off the rails. Mm. Like it is, it is the absolute most boring procedural crap movie. And then until the last act and then it just like goes off, it goes to crazy town and it, and it feels like Nick Cage, it like clearly he didn't do all those scenes back to back or in chronological order, but it feels like he did because he brings the same coked up. I haven't slept for three days energy to all of it. And so I don't know. Which worked was perfect in Bad Lieutenant. Yeah, but it's not so. It's not so great in this horror movie about a guy that goes to an island that's run entirely by women to find his illegitimate daughter, and then turns out that it's all an elaborate trap so that they can sacrifice him as part of this festival. Oh no, you've given it all away. Look what you've done. That's fine. (laughs) Watch that. Watch the watch the YouTube clip. Yeah, watch the YouTube clip, and you know. Don't be like me. Is there a crazy <laughs> uh, scene it. where the the hot naked woman is dancing next no, door? No, no nudity or anything. What? He he kicks That's one of the best scenes. He in the kicks Lily Sobieski in the face, and it's hilarious. Wow. That's really funny. Um, he also there's this really funny pacing moment where he comes downstairs, and by this time he's gone crazy, and he comes downstairs, and there's this bartender, um, or yeah, she runs the lodge, and she's she's a bigger lady, she's taller, and she's just broad shouldered big lady. And there's a split second where they just kind of quietly look at each other, and then he just punches her in the face. Wow. Yeah, hard as he can. Um, he gets bees poured on his face. They put, a, they put a helmet on him and pour bees in there, and they, they're CG bees, so he just had to pretend. And his pretend, uh, you know, I've never had to pretend to have bees poured on my face, yeah. but I don't think he did a believable job. <laughs> you know. um, Is he so a method was, actor? Say what? Is he a method actor? I I don't know. I don't think I don't know what kind of actor Nick Cage is at this point. He's a I will I will work for money actor at this point. I'll tell you what though, uh, adaptation in Port of Call, New Orleans. I know it's been a long decade, but those were pretty sweet. Yeah, (laughs) he's a a busy man. So so Um, uh, so you know then I I did uh, House of Wax. Yes, Paris Hilton. Paris Hilton and minor role, blown out of proportion. Blown out of proportion, um, but I will say they took extra care in murdering her. God bless America. Like, they went out of their way to make her death extra horrible. Um, and it's on YouTube, and I actually put the clip in uh, my, my blog when I posted it. But um, Unrated. Uh, she basically gets impaled through the face <laughs> with a spike, and then she falls down, and the killer stands over her and puts his foot on the back of her head yeah. and pushes her the rest of the way down the spike and then yeah. pulls it out of the back of her head. And it's a slow process. And it's a slow Yeah, I, I, I watched that. You even warned me in your article, and I, I hit play anyway and watched the whole thing, and I was yeah. cringing. It's, that's, the, that's the one thing else. I mean, House, it was pretty, pretty lame. Um, it had a few decent actors like... I don't know. Eliza Cuthbert was in it, and, and she can be okay. <laughs> what a ringing endorsement! Is she in conviction? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. She can be okay. She's not like I don't know. She's not great, but um, but it's House of Wax. It's I mean, House they of remade Wax. Remade of Vincent yeah. Price, but, film but Brian Van Holt's in it, and Brian Van Holt I like a lot. He's Butchie Yost and John from Cincinnati. He's he's in a few other. Uh, he's he's a little he's a very he's a pretty much he's a vetted television actor. He's actually he's on the 
Courtney Cox show on ABC right now, mm. whatever that's called. Cougar Town. Cougar Town. Hey. Yeah. Which I can't believe they went with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's on there, and uh, he was in John from Cincinnati, and, and uh, he's had bit parts in Sons of Anarchy and some other So stuff does he make the movie good? Yeah, he does. Really? Because he's the villain. So you're gonna, you're recommending House of Wax? I'm not okay. recommending it. Okay. I'm saying there are, some, there are some rewarding things to it, but overall it's... The, okay, the one, thing, okay, the one thing I will say is the director really has no problem, and in the, in the script, I guess, as well, has no problem in putting the, the principal characters through hell. Right. And so, like, tendons get cut. Fing- uh, the main character's finger gets cut off. Uh-huh. And which, you know, that doesn't sound like much, but in, usually in these movies, they kind of, someone always makes it out unscathed. Or when you've, def- when you've defined who the survivor is going to be, they tend to survive mostly unscathed until maybe the final act. Right. They, they get a flesh wound and then the doctor. Unless can't. you're watching Deep Blue Sea right. and then Samuel Jackson's gone in the first yeah. half hour and you're like, oh my God! Yeah. Sorry. Well, he, he doesn't have any problem maiming and, and torturing um, the main characters, the ones that do survive. The Sweet. ones that don't, it's even worse. But yeah, that was that. And then the last one um, I just did yesterday, and it was more of a reward to myself for making it through the other two. But uh, I watched John Carpenter's The Thing. Yes. And that, you know, hyperbole aside, that's that's easily my favorite John Carpenter movie. And it might be, I you know, it would, it would be in my top ten favorite movies ever. Wow. I posted that link today on my Facebook page, and I had like six people respond yeah. and say it was their favorite horror movie of all the, time. The things, yeah, it's great. I mean, Carpenter said it's his favorite movie he's ever directed. Huh. Himself, yeah. Um, Better than Big Trouble in Little China and They Live? Just barely. Just barely, okay. If, you, if the music video for Big Trouble in Little China was included in the actual movie, I think it'd be... That might push it over the top. Have you seen that? You know what huh. I'm talking about? No. It's on the DVD, and you can find it on YouTube, but John Carpenter has his own band called the Coupe de Bills. Oh, right. And it's just him and, and a bunch of guys that worked on the movie, like the editor and a few other guys. Um, and they he did the soundtrack for Big Trouble in Little China, and they, they cut together a music video, and it's really bad. Um, but it's really funny. All right. Um, so the, yeah, thing, the, thing, the thing is a remake. The thing is a remake. Technically, yes, it's a remake. But it's a remake in the same way that Casino Royale is a remake of the 1966 Casino Royale. Some of the names are the same. The general premise is the same. But Carpenter just does goes above and beyond. Um, the idea of uh, just the amount of mounting paranoia and isolation and being in the Antarctic and all this happening, um, That's that alone is pretty compelling. And then... I really just there's a lot to it that I really appreciate that I don't think could happen now. Like uh, there's no there's not a single female character in the cast, and I don't think you could make a movie like this now without. And to prove that, there's a, fe- a, a a very big female character in the upcoming remake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the chick from uh, uh, Scott Pilgrim, Mary Elizabeth. Winston. Oh, really? Yeah, in the remake that they're doing, she's she's uh, John McClane's daughter. Yeah, huh. there you go. That's. Anyway, yeah, it's the I, the whole premise of the movie is great, and I really won't spend much time on it because I don't want to spoil it like I did the other two. They they deserve to be spoiled. But if you <laughs> haven't seen the thing, it's it's great. You won't regret it. And actually, when I was living in Kansas City last year, or I guess two years ago, they showed um they showed it at the Screenland um, Armor, or no, the Screenland uh, Crossroads, the day before Halloween. Cool. And uh, I'd never seen it in a theater before, and it's it was worth it. Like, it's a really good movie to see in a dark theater where everyone has to pay attention to it because all the elements that work when you watch it on your own work twice as well when you're in the dark with a bunch of other people that have no other choice but to look at it. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. Oh, and Ennio Morricone did the soundtrack, and it's also another that's, that's another element that really helps is that he's, you know, he really, it's very minimalist, but 
he knows what he's doing. See, when you said you were going to uh, mention another element that helped, I thought you were going to go for Wilford Brimley. Yeah, he helps. <laughs> he helps. He's in it, right? Oh yeah. yeah. He's he he's a very he has a very big part in it. Yeah. Is this his uh, most celebrated role? Yes. He <laughs> <laughs> did that show for. Oh. Uh, the Family Channel. Yeah. And I can't even remember what it was called. Life Goes On? No, no, no. no was no. he not on that? No, he was not on Life Goes On. Oh, okay. No. I kind of tuned out there for like a decade during um, yeah. whenever Life Goes On was on. <laughs> so if you were to look that up, exactly when it started and when it ended, that was the decade I was tuned out was, for yeah. of everything. So real quick, okay. uh, horror remake uh, from my perspective, mm-hmm. uh, that was really good this year that nobody saw, and it's already gone. Halloween's yeah. here, and it's already finished. It's it's not in theaters anymore. A movie I was totally suspicious of, and I thought I was going to hate yeah. it, called Let Me In. And Let Me In is a remake of Let the Right One In, sure. uh, which was uh, the Swedish film. I read the book that it was based on, and it was amazing. I love the Swedish film. It was number three or four on my list of, mm-hmm. of uh, best movies two years ago. And uh, so, so Let Me In comes out, directed by Matt Reeves, who did yeah. Cloverfield, uh, starring Chloe Moretz, who was in Kick-Ass, uh, starring Cody Smith-McPhee uh, from uh, The Road, yeah. uh, and, and wow, and, and Richard Jenkins. And, and it worked. It was great. And it, and it was great because they set this story that was set uh, in Sweden, in this kind of working class, uh, economically depressed neighborhood in the 80s. They set it in, in New Mexico uh, in the early 80s. Uh, and, and there was all these little touches, these little personal touches and, uh, um, you know, ideas that they, were, that they were bringing in from that setting to make this movie work. And, yeah. and I think it was interesting because what they did is they actually alienated the crowd that would like that movie yeah. by remaking it in the first place. If, <laughs> if I wasn't a film critic, I probably wouldn't have made an effort to go see this film. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people who loved Let the Right One In stayed away from it specifically for that reason. Yeah. I thought, you know, this is kind of useless. Why bother? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm still wondering, you know, what's what's the, what's important about having two versions whenever of the same story told well? someone tells me about this movie, I always ask, did it warrant a remake? And that always seems to be the question that trips people up. Well, well now that I've seen it, yes. And the reason is... Uh, is that it's a personal story. It's coming yeah. from the director. He grew up in this in this time period, uh, as did I. And uh, there were so much, so many things that he brought into it yeah. uh, to make it effective and, and creepy. And he really forged a really strong bond. I thought between uh, you know the two kids when you're when you're 12 years old and it seems like the world is against you. It's friendship and and everything is really really important. And I think he got that across uh, the best. He even staged some scenes that were completely original that I thought were really, really great. Uh, the last scene, which is signature in the original movie, he kind of tried to remake that uh, uh, to an unsuccessful degree for the most part. But but really, I can't say enough nice things about Let Me In, yeah. and, and I really wish that people would have seen it. Um, but but what the irony of this whole situation is that in order for that movie to have been a success, yeah. it would have had to have been terrible. Mm-hmm. Because the the audience that uh, they were marketing it to, if you saw the commercials on TV, was kind of the True Blood, uh, you know, uh, audience. And, well, and it had, a, it had a darker, grittier. Like the commercials made it look, and the, and the, I remember very specifically the narrator of the commercials yeah. made it sound like it was not to the degree of a Saw movie, but it, that it was in kind of the same vein. Yeah, as and a, then it had actual song. like jump out yeah. scares instead yeah. of just a creepy tone. Yeah, yeah, that and it's not like that. Yeah. So. 
And that's what scared all the people who liked the original mm-hmm. away from it. And so nobody ended up going. It made like $10, $12 million, and it's gone. So check that out next year on video or whenever it comes out. I'm, oh, I'm, God, I'm they're, recommending that. They're, they're shortening like the amount of time from theater to... <laughs> in three months when it comes yeah, out. <laughs> if that, yeah. Which reminds me, why don't I have Inception already? Like, I should have that by now. Yeah, yeah. I have to wait till December. Well, anyway, we're going to end it there. Um, happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. And you can check out Eric Moline's stuff at scenestealers.com. Happy pranks and candy. And you can check uh, out my work and the work of everyone else's at lawrence.com. Happy beans and pranks. And cheers. Cheers. Have fun trick-or-treating. Thank you.